Welcome to Credits Due, the podcast where we break down an actor's filmography one movie at a time. I'm Ben Cron, and joining me today is Tyler Owen. The Rona has taken my beard. And Neil Potter. Not the Rona, it's me. I've taken your beard. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, indeed, guys, because we are on part 17 on our series on Harrison Ford. Um, and of course, we'll be talking about the movie Blade Runner 2049. It's directed by Denis Villeneuve. It stars Ryan Gosling, Anna de Armos, and Harrison Ford. Hmm. And of course, as always, we'll start off with some film trivia. Then we'll go into some box office and dive into our full spoiler-filled discussion on the movie Blade Runner 2049. And as always, we'll end with some final thoughts on Harrison Ford and recommendations. And guys, it's it's our last movie of Harrison Ford. And we got to we got to send we got to call in some help, right? For this. Mhm. Awesome. So, joining us today, he's not even close to baseline. It's Kevin James. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, welcome to Credits Too. Cells. 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 Oh, no. Oh. Did I pass the baseline? I think you passed. Okay, To be thank determined. You. <laughs> to be determined. Oh, shit. Well, uh, Kevin, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing all right. Um, just finished up the good old rewatching of all the movies and well both movies i rewatched the original blade runner as well and yeah i get ready for this podcast nice so um just some quick th- uh what are your thoughts on harrison ford harrison ford um i <laughs> i like harrison ford a lot actually um but i've you know it's not a, he's not an actor that i've always like kept in the forefront of you know, when I think about movies, but then when I look back at everything I've watched of his, like it's, it's always super enjoyable. Cause like, you know, Indiana Jones fan, star Wars fan, all those things. Um, haven't seen as many films, like things like I'd never seen Blade Runner. Um, prior to this, I'd seen 2049 when it came out originally, but, uh, that was my first introduction to the whole franchise. And then, you know, of course all of his other movies where, uh, he was uh, Jack Ryan, yeah, originally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Two movies. Haven't actually seen any of those. I just you know know about them. Well, I might have, but yeah, you can see how <laughs> in touch I am with the Harrison Ford uh, filmography. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Most of what we've discovered, I think, in this season of the show is that. Everyone thinks they like Harrison Ford until they go back and watch most of his movies. <laughs> I just remember uh, the only movie that where he was uh, wasn't in one of his you know big blockbuster like Star Wars or anything was uh, Get Off My Plane. <laughs> yeah, yes. Force One. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a good one. <laughs> 
yeah, it's funny. I, I think I before we started this, I think I was in the same position as you that, you know, mm-hmm. I had seen all the Indiana Jones and the Star Wars and all that. But everything in between, I was just kind of not, you know, maybe I had seen a couple here and there, but I was just not familiar, um, which is kind of funny that he's such a. I mean, I think that's just a testament to his franchise work, that they're just so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all right. Let's kick let's kick this episode off. Uh, Tyler, you have some film trivia for us? I sure do. Every episode, I put together four pieces of trivia about our main film, and you guys have to figure out which one I've made up completely. So, we'll start with number one. The opening scene in which Kay confronts Sapper Morton is a nearly exact remake of a scene written and storyboarded but never filmed for the original Blade Runner. Number two. David Bowie was director Denis Villeneuve's first choice for the role of Neander Wallace, but he unfortunately died before the start of shooting. Number three. While shooting a fight scene, Harrison Ford accidentally punched Ryan Gosling in the face. As an apology to his co-star, Ford invited Gosling to share a bottle of scotch whiskey with him. And number four, actress Sean Young, who played Rachel in the original Blade Runner, learned of her character's inclusion in the film as a digital creation only after the film had been released. She had previously suggested a boycott of the film since she had not been contacted to be involved. Director Denis Villeneuve insisted that this was done to preserve one true surprise for audiences with less chance of it being revealed due to leaks. Hmm. All right. Kevin, as our guest, you have the honor of going first and picking which one I have made up. Oh, boy. Um, I know I, I, I knew a couple of those. But that literally only <laughs> got rid of half of them. <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, yeah, this, is, this is quite a tough one. I, I want to say number two, because I feel like I've heard number four before. But I, I'm only partially sure about... Uh, maybe I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, no, I'm locking in number two. First choice. That David Bowie was uh, the first choice for Neander Wallace. You think that's the fiction? <laughs> Don't ask me like that. <laughs> no, you already locked in. So, uh, yeah, I already locked in. So, yeah, we're going number two. Uh, I'm I'm going to choose number two as well um, about David Bowie. Uh, it feels correct, but I almost want to say that, that that's just from a different movie. Um, I feel like I've heard that trivia, but it was attached to a different movie. So, uh, so that's my reasoning. Number two. Okay, okay. All right, I, Neil. Oh boy, I'm gonna go. I want to say the last one is the fiction. I know that Sean Young was not actually physically, but I want to say that she at least. I'm just saying it twisted the uh, it twisted the the truth there. All right, well let's take them in order. The <laughs> opening scene in which Kay confronts Sapper Morton, being a remake of a scene written and storyboarded but never filmed for the original Blade Runner, uh, that is true. Yes, mm. so it was in the original. Obviously, it was uh, Rick Deckard 
who was the Blade Runner who confronts a, a replicant. And uh, that scene was almost a shot for shot from the storyboard of the original film that was never created. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of cool. Number two. David Bowie was the was director Denis Villeneuve's first choice for the role of Neander Wallace, but he unfortunately died before the start of shooting. Uh, this was true, guys. Ooh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Ben, you're you're not wrong. Like I think that this happened for a couple different roles. Like I think that David Bowie was kind of being seen as this like cool. Uh, eclectic actor mm-hmm. to include in films around this time. Like he did an amazing job playing Nikola Tesla in, um, the, uh, prestige. prestige. And so, yeah, I can absolutely see him in the role of Neander Wallace, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately yeah. he did pass away before the start of this filming. Yeah. So David Bowie was probably like everyone's first choice for like every role. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that means number three. Let's see. Uh, while shooting a fight scene, Harrison Ford accidentally punched Ryan Gosling in the face, and as an apology, they shared a bottle of scotch whiskey. And you guys all thought this one was true. What? And it is true. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> you fell for that immediately. <laughs> I yeah, think no, it's that, the... Well, I guess they probably only have one fight scene, but I think it's the it's when there's like that... Uh, there's that Elvis um, hologram. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We got to talk about that later. Um, (laughs) Yes. That, that was the instance where it happened. Uh, I don't, I did not find out if they ended up being able to use that shot in the film, but God, that would be amazing. If, uh, if you could be, if you were Ryan Gosling and you could be able to say like, that was where he punched me right in the face. (laughs) That'd be pretty incredible. Um, but that means Neil, yes! you got it right. Yes! Number four was the fiction for exactly the reason you thought. Uh, yes, she. So it's funny because almost all of this is true except for her not being involved. So mm. she, um, she originally did suggest a boycott of the film because she had not been contacted to be involved. But that was back in 2013, quite a ways before production on the film even started. And since her role would only be uh, as like a consultant for the um, body language and walking, uh, the her like mode of walking to get the uh, stand-in double to like copy her movements precisely. Um, They didn't really need her to come in very early in filming or anything. So they contacted her pretty late in development of the film uh, or at least in, you know, pre-production. So um, yeah, so that it's strange, right? Like, and there, it's still not even clear if um, that if she had continued saying things like that as a way to misdirect people, um, but yes, she was involved to help assist in the, the recreation of her character, um, uh, from the first film. So interesting. Oh, good job, Neil. Thanks. Well, let's good do job, Neil. Thank you. We'll go right after that into some box office news. Now we're talking Blade Runner 2049. It came out in 2017, October, the exact um, and it had a budget of $150 million, and it had, <laughs> and had a 
Uh, domestic opening of only thirty two point seven million dollars. Double boost. Yeah, and <laughs> I I remember when this came out of it not having um a, a very big opening day. Um, I worldwide this has made two hundred and sixty million dollars, so it's made its money back. But I do remember this when it came out that it didn't have a big opening. And even I didn't go see it when it came out because I had seen the initial phrase later on her. But first time watching it, I didn't actually care for it. So when this came around, I was like, I don't, I don't care. And I think that's probably what a lot of people's thoughts were. Um, <laughs> I mean, you would think that the studio would know that based on the box office of the original. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Abysmal opening for the original as well. Um, and I... This is, I mean, we're talking 2017 here, and this is another year of, like, giant movies. And we're talking Dunkirk, Wonder Woman, Logan, uh, The Last Jedi, Shape of Water, Baby Ooh. Driver, uh, Ben's favorite, Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume <laughs> 2, like, just giant blockbusters this um, that year. So, like, it can easily get lost in the shuffle of all of these giants, which perform you know, very well. You know, this, where that, that year stands out to me specifically because for two reasons. That was the year my daughter was born, and so I was going to see a bunch of movies by myself just to get out of the house. <laughs> and it was also, like, the height of movie pass. <laughs> So I went to go see all these movies practically for fucking free. And it was incredible while it lasted. Rest in peace, movie pass. (laughs) What a con. (laughs) (laughs) Usually usually the con man is doing the conning, not the other way around. Yeah. No, even better. This was still back when um, they did not prevent you from seeing the same movie twice. So... I would go see the movie and then I would give Francis my phone the next day so that she could check in with the app and do it again the next day for the same movie. (laughs) So we definitely conned the shit out of them. That was not allowed in their terms of service. (laughs) Amazing. This movie is also uh, two hours. It's two hours and 44 minutes long. And I remember Mm -hmm. that was like the narrative around this release was that it's it was a movie that was so goddamn long. Yeah, this was like the Irishman, 2017. Nice. Um, And uh, I remember going to see this movie because this was around the time where the movie theater that I went to put in recliners. Yes. So I, it was the first movie I saw with recliners and I uh, sat down in my seat. I reclined as you do. And then I, I immediately thought I'm going to fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But luckily I did not. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, anything else, Neil? Man, that, touches on just about it. I can go into Thor Ragnarok's uh, budget. <laughs> no, okay, no, all right. absolutely not. All right. <laughs> um, all right, let's dive into this movie. Um, so, Kevin, you said uh, you 
just rewatched the original Blade Runner. Um, well, watched I watched the original for the first time. Yeah, and just had to rewatch twenty forty nine. Um, any thoughts you have on the original Blade Runner? Just the, or- the original. Um, it's interesting. Um, just like the, it felt very much like a movie trying to do the, like from the past, trying to represent the future. Like, um, you know, it's a product of its time, obviously, but like, I don't know, for some reason, like this one very much felt like that. Like you went into it and like, uh, there's just random things attached to computers of like old, <laughs> like old projection monitors, and I for some reason in the scene when you're in his apartment for the first time in the original, uh, there's that weird textured tiled background on all of his walls, and it just I don't know why it creeped me out, but it felt like the future still. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but just like the I guess the production design in it just was like really stood out to me so i looked at everything especially like Mm. compare i really compared like the car designs to 2049 and stuff like that too um i don't know the production design really stood out but um Mm. as far as the movie as a whole uh i liked it (laughs) question mark um i actually like uh we were talking before we started recording i literally had finished watching the movie like i had said mm-hmm. um <laughs> so i haven't had a full amount of time to process it sure but you know it was it was enjoyable um it didn't feel long parts of 2049 felt a little long to me but we can get into that in, in a bit but uh no um harrison ford was good um all the i mean the acting was fairly good in all of it there were mm-hmm. plenty of parts that were kind of oddly creepy to me. <laughs> you mean but, the, um, the kind of rapey scene? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, that one, like, I literally paused it, rewatched <laughs> that part shower. to make sure that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is happening right now. But yeah. <sighs> but, yeah. Uh, so what about the sequel? Uh, so 2049... Um, yeah, you had seen it before, right? I saw it in theaters, I think near release, but, uh, yeah, um, it's a long movie. Like it's a long movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, it's probably the longest feeling movie that I've ever watched that I actually really enjoyed. Mm. That's a, that that's a really good, good way, way to, to put it. it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> because like I'd get through, there'd be like part of a scene, and I'd be like, "Oh, I like this," and then like five minutes later, I'd be like, "All right, is the scene done yet?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it would keep going, and it would feel a little drug out. But like I would overall like what was happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's so, so funny because this movie, it's almost like, um, it's almost like the feel of this movie is what makes it so good. Like with the <laughs> cinematography and the music, it's just something that like, it's almost like watching a screensaver or watching like, you know, like planet earth. Like you just want <laughs> to experience like 
the image that this movie is giving. And you like, I just found myself really enjoying just being in that world, even Mm -hmm. though maybe the story isn't the best and maybe the plot isn't good enough for like three hours, (laughs) but I just loved like just giving myself over to like the experience that this movie gives just kind of bathing in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You really sit in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I I gotta say, I also really dug the aesthetic of it. And it's like, I know, I think Ridley Scott produced it. So he kind of had some fingers in it, I'm sure. But like his worlds in general are just the most fascinating things in the world. And like, they feel very fleshed out without telling you anything about it, really. Like you just kind of get it by just looking at it and absorbing it. Like, and they don't go like, hey, this is everything that's going on. So, like, I, it's just a really well put together universe, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think that this is one of those films where it breaks. It, it's like the exception that proves the rule, like, in a lot of different ways. Um, most prominent for me on this rewatch was the fact that it opens up with like two fucking paragraphs of exposition text. <laughs> like the only other movies that get away with that and have any right to be good are star Wars movies. Like yeah, other than really. that, pretty much any sci-fi movie that starts off with exposition text that you have to read, you're like 99% guaranteed. It's going to be shit. Yeah. Um, but and this one is just star like, Wars, at least in star Wars, you can read the text. It's just so small. <laughs> like it's that so too. small. So that too, small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah it's in so it breaks the mold in a lot of different ways and that just being one example but yeah like Mm -hmm. the way the way that this movie like moves through time and space you're right you you feel the length of it but that's almost just completely intentional um I, yeah. I compare that in a lot of ways to like Kubrick stuff. Like 2001 A Space Odyssey is like one of my other favorite movies of all time. And it has a very similar feel. Like there are just giant stretches of that movie where you're just like bar- barely anything is happening. You're just watching people's faces. Nobody's talking or you're even literally staring at like a light on a console that, for like 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just, just a monolith. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it's audacious. Like it takes a lot of balls to do that and still pull off something that is like really watchable. It's, it's like the closest thing you can get to like meditation in film form. And I think yeah. the soundtrack builds on that. Yes. Like this is just the coolest sounding, like a lot of the soundtrack is like almost like world noises that come through and you think yeah. they're part of the world. Like these big weird booming sounds kind of a thing. It's just so awesome. It really sets mm-hmm. There's yeah. that sound that sounds like a motorcycle revving up, or it's like, vroom. yes. <laughs> apparently, that is a choir of men singing that has been distorted what? beyond all recognition. Oh. Wow. Oh really? That's so incredible. fucking cool. I, the soundtrack for this movie is incredible. Yeah. So, this is a Hans Zimmer score, and I think it's his oh. best. I think it's his best score, like, ever. Yeah. Um, Maybe like the Dark Knight. I think that movie uses its score better, and um, I'm quite a fan of the Man of Steel soundtrack. Oh, it's awesome! It's amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, if you're a drum fan, like, holy shit, that movie, that the music in that movie is just a drum par- paradise. <laughs> but yeah, I just love how, yeah, that like, that engine sound that this this score uses so many times is incredible. And that's nuts. <laughs> it's a choir. I can't believe that. Yeah. Well, so one thing that I, I noticed watching this, um, I actually pulled out my 4K Blu-ray to watch this one, uh, no. which I don't usually do, even if I own it. And I, if I have it on digital mm-hmm. as well, I'll usually just pull it up on digital just because I'm lazy. Um, for whatever reason, I decided to pull out the 4K Blu-ray this time. And then I realized why that was such a good decision is because when when you watch movies on streaming services even on like ones where you purchased the film and redeemed it digitally they often will run like sound processing to normalize all the audio like so that it's Mm -hmm. all none of it's too Mm -hmm. loud and none of it's too soft but when you play it from a blu-ray it's mastered to what the director originally wanted it to sound like in a theater and some people complain about that because the loud parts get too loud in your house you know and you got neighbors and shit but Mm -hmm. in this movie it's so effective those like revving noises and then some of the like action sequences are so goddamn loud and it fits the tone and feel of this movie so well i i was really glad that i decided to do that and i didn't didn't wasn't really thinking of that when i did uh yeah also um to continue on this aesthetic point uh this movie is also shot by roger deakins who a famed cinematographer he's done skyfall um sicario i think he's done a lot of uh, Denis Villeneuve movies. Yeah. Um, it, it's, there was a long running, um, it's not even a joke. It was almost like a protest that he never wins Oscars. He got, um, he got, I think he's got nominated countless times. And this kind of really started up when Skyfall, uh, came out because that's just a absolutely gorgeous movie. And people are just like, like, why the fuck has he not won an Oscar? Yeah. Um, so this is his first movie that he won an Oscar for, which is kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's won one more, which is 1917, um, which is kind of mm. a, another stunning movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, this is just the images that this movie shows is just completely just awestruck. Like my jaw is just on the floor, like during this entire movie. Um, uh, also, I don't know if you guys saw this today, but there was a, he did an interview, I think yesterday. Um, and it, today it kind of got picked up, um, by some outlets, but he did like he did this interview and he kind of just trashed on like like every single movie like ever and he told a story he told a story about this movie Blade Runner and how he he shot every single scene uh with like using only one camera and normally for um movies this big they have um, what is called a second unit where it's just like, it's another unit. Usually there's no, 
the it's a different director and it's a different cinematographer and it's they just go off and shoot scenes so a lot of action scenes are done by second units um a lot of like establishing shots are done by second units Mm -hmm. and he told this story about how like uh, whoever it was, a producer or something, was just like, all right, so we're going to need like five units for this. So just, you know, you know, give us a list of people that you're going to hire for, you know, all these five different units. And Roger Dickens was like, no, we're going to use one unit and we're just going to need one camera and I'm going to do it all. Oh, my God. I can only imagine he got pulled that and then just grabbed it. Junk and like here's your second unit right here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh god. I hope you did that. I hope we all get a chance to do that at one point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It it ends in just a better quality movie, and I think it's um, it's just stunning. From there's not a single shot in this movie that is like not beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's quite impressive. I'm I'm interested, Ben, in hearing more. You said that you didn't think the plot supported the runtime, or that like you didn't think the plot was very good, or at least insinuated well, that. I I think there's a lot. Okay, maybe it's because. All right, actually, um, you're prompting will, this quite a bit. Yeah, I will cop to I will cop to something about this movie. So, uh, in the last episode, I, I kind of I suggested that I thought this movie was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. So, I've watched this movie probably a dozen times, maybe. Wow. Um, I usually stop at the moment that Harrison Ford comes in. Um, oh, why do you keep watching? Which, like, I don't get it. <laughs> which, to be fair, that's like five hours into the movie already. <laughs> so normally it's just because mm-hmm. I like just have to turn it off. Um, but also usually it's it's because I also think it's because I don't have an affinity to the first Blade Runner. So when, and the, like the end of this movie is really when it becomes like a, like it really depends on it being a sequel to Blade Runner. Um, I think personally, that's just kind of where I zone out. Cause I'm just not as invested in it. Um, I also think a lot of the stuff with Wallace, the Wallace like corporation is just kind of boring to me. Um, it's just a lot of like sci-fi, like corporate mumbo jumbo. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me that well. Um, uh, I will, I, I would have to actually agree with almost everything you just said. Um, I don't think it goes... I mean, I don't know about the plot as a whole. I didn't really have an issue with it. But, like, as far as, like, the length of it being applied to that, I com- I think I completely agree with you. Like, I actually remembered the ending for the most part of this movie. And f- um, 
so I didn't feel like I kind of just like wasn't as attentive to it once Harrison Ford came in because it's like you know what's gonna happen with that part of the movie I felt because like he comes in it goes into about all the things from the first movie in the past and everything you learn about the big uh well what happens in the movie which I'm sure we'll get to but um and then there's just like the parts with the corporation too um Jared Leto doesn't really do it for me <laughs> I don't think um I'm gonna just because uh, I'm gonna touch on Jared oh Leto real quick oh boy okay, okay. I honestly I think he's a fine actor for the most part like I have no problem with Jared Leto as like the actor, but I all I know about Jared Leto in this movie specifically is that he quote unquote <laughs> went method to go and went and was Ugh. pretended to be blind or were like blinding shades oh, throughout the whole production of this movie, so he knew what it felt like. Whatever, if you want to do that, that's fine. But he's in this movie for like maybe a total of three minutes and. He's barely, like, not even blind. Like, he has things that see for him, making him really just not blind. So I find it funny that he did that anyway. <laughs> this method of acting is annoying and needs to stop. However, I think he's perfectly fine in the role, but I also agree <laughs> that it's like, it was such a small little thing that I didn't really only service the plot once Harrison Ford got it. Yeah. Well, I- I also think, just to add on to that a little bit, um, I want to say I read that he only actually was on set filming for his part for like a few days. Yeah, he, and then he was in Hungary for like two weeks, and that was it. When oh, they, was it, they was were it two weeks? There. Okay. Yeah. I just knew it was so a pretty I don't know short how long he was on set, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was just sightseeing <laughs> for 10 days. Go back I'll I'll speak out and say I think that the more I watch this movie, the more I actually appreciate his performance. Um, it it is a little out there, but I think that it's out there in a fashion that fits the Blade Runner universe. Like there's some mm. weird ass shit in that first movie too. Like it feels in universe and it feels authentic to the character so that i it doesn't his performance doesn't bother me at all but it does feel like underserved in a way like he he's more of a plot device than a character which is kind of disappointing like there there's not um the real true villain of this movie is his sidekick love mm-hmm. and she has way more of an interesting uh, plot development here but so having him become like the big bad at some point and have like a one-on-one with Harrison Ford kind of feels disingenuous because you don't feel like he really did any of the work to get that to that point it was all love so it, it's odd it, it's I do think it's like the weakest part of this film but not because of his performance yeah I think his performance is fine too um I think the my problem with it is really less of Jared Leto, which is a weird thing to say, and more of um, uh, the character. Um, I think the character um, is like his the like really the one like big scene he's in where he's like 
like birthing that um like replicant uh and he's just like he's just like reading off like three pages of exposition and it's just like it's just rough um and it's funny thinking about david bowie in that role because i feel like david bowie can just say that weird shit i think he can deliver um all just that sci-fi weirdness because um well i think part of it is because of the age right like i think um jared leto is he's young and so you get more of this sense of like a like startup founder asshole instead of some like genius you know Uh, so yeah yeah you don't really buy him as like this business genius or a high level intellect who's done a lot of developing or anything like you get the sense that he like inherited this money and bought all this shit that that's kind of how he comes across because his character really isn't developed that well so yeah i mean i I didn't find him particularly uh villainous even though a lot of the things he's saying are like fucked up it's just it just feels um he feels just kind of inserted into the film in an odd way, you know? Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. since, like, he doesn't really have a connection to the original. Like, they they go to a, a lot of effort to explain that he, like, bought the remnants of the Tyrell Corporation. And it's just like, okay, I mean, I guess. But I don't really <laughs> see how that fits into the world, you know? It's it's just hard to, to parse what's going on. Yeah. It's really, yeah. it's lore. Like, that's really all yeah. his character yeah. is. It's like exactly. we, needed a, we needed a villain to put in place. We needed the corporation back. So insert mm. character. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's talk about the real star of this movie. Dave <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but real to be real though, um, that opening scene, I Amazing. love that opening Amazing. scene. Oh yeah, so good. it's incredible. Yeah. Like I will watch that. Um, and can it's I? It's like, such a great like cold open too. Yes, and yes. Dave Bautista is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, did any of you watch the uh, prelude short of Bautista oh. to this movie? No. I did a is while this the back, but animated. Yeah. No, it's no. it's live action. Oh, really? Okay. Um, it's basically showing you what his life was before uh, Ryan Gosling shows up. Oh, um, interesting. Um. It shows you like where he, like how he gets money, how he interacts with society, as while holding that secret that he is a replicant. Mm. Oh, well. I think it was so. that short was directed by uh, uh, Ridley Scott's son. I think. Oh really? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty good. You guys should check them out. There's like three of them. I think that came out. Oh before wow, the movie really? Came out because I think yeah. one is about Jared Leto's character, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, I think then, so. They're from like different time periods between the two films. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the, there's, um, the one like plot line that I love about this movie and that really works for me is the joy character, um, is, uh, uh, what Kay's like little, like virtual girlfriend, Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's like equally beautiful and disturbing kind of like all together. 
And I think it's so smart and it's such a cool, like, it's such a cool thing to add to this world. Um, and Lars and the real girl too. (laughs) Yes. Very much so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's very much her. Um, but it's, I think it's so, it's so funny because you like question that is this joy character. Is she like, is she the singularity? Like, is she fully self-aware? Um, and like, does she like, are the feelings for Kay? Is it, does she actually love him? Does she actually like, is she actually like having real emotions? And then the ending when he sees the advertisement, the like giant, um, the like giant, like purple lady. Yeah. Giant purple lady. (laughs) And she, the advertisement says like, she repeats like two lines that she had said in the, Mm -hmm. in, um, previously in the film. And it's just like, Holy shit, dude, you just fell in love with your iPhone. And well, she, she ends it. That little advertisement ends it with like something like, uh, you're a good old Joe. And then that was the name he got named. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the advertising is so like, it's so it's such a weird thing because it's so on the nose, but it's also an advertisement. So that's kind of the point where it just mm-hmm. says, like, tells you everything you want to hear. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. OK, that's what she literally did the whole movie. So. <laughs> but it's like it's almost so the way that I kind of interpret that uh, relationship is it's almost like his uh, Jiminy Cricket and he's Pinocchio like she is the one like encouraging him and telling him to keep going forward and say like you are a real boy a real boy and like it's it's kind of incredible in like this weird meta way to have a character that is less human than him explaining like that and saying things that are in the context of the like philosophy of the film actually true that mm-hmm. like there there is no difference between him and a real human being but that's being delivered by a character that absolutely has a difference between a real human being and them true yeah i also love how she's almost like how she's always saying he's special and stuff is almost like a misdirect for like the twist that happens at the end of the movie where oh, absolutely mm-hmm. He thinks that maybe he was the replicant that was like born from a woman. And Mm -hmm. that's um, that is like solidified in his mind because this this hologram is just constantly saying like she's constantly agreeing with him. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. that's you. Like Mm -hmm. that memory is your memory. Like you're special. And it's like it's it's. So it's a clever way to like misdirect the audience um, from this twist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect misdirect too, because like on subsequent viewings, there are so many clues that he's not the one, right? Like there. um, So one thing I picked up on this watch through that I did not notice before the horse, the wooden horse that he has. Did you guys notice that, it's 
pretty obvious that that horse used to have a horn and was a unicorn and the horn was broken off oh no really i didn't know i've never seen that so that was that's like a huge callback to the first movie right the unicorn Mm -hmm. symbolism and like so in this it's a very overt reference to the idea of like a unicorn is very special right but you take Mm. off its horn and it's just a horse and like god that's so fucking perfect That is amazing. It's not noticeable in most scenes, but it's very obvious in the scene where he takes it to get analyzed at that like street vendor Mm -hmm. and he like puts it on a scanner. There's a great shot where you can see like a perfect little like round, uh, lighter colored wood on its forehead where there was obviously a horn. So yeah, super cool detail. Wild. Uh, yeah. And they, I mean the, the big clue really is that it that um, the memory is well, I guess maybe it's not a clue, but the memory is supposed to be fake. So like the idea that every replicant has a memory that's given to them. And so like his is supposed to be um, his is supposed to be fake. And I guess that and it ends up being someone else's memory that is right. just like uh plagiarized i guess um and given to him which is such a unique original idea that like in these types of movies exist right like the idea of being a clone or something like that Mm -hmm. or you know having um having fake memories but in this case it wasn't a fake memory it just wasn't his memory which is so yeah cool such a cool idea uh okay do we want to get to this twist and this ending. Yeah. Um, cause I, I have a question. So, um, so the big twist is that there is a child, um, born from a replicant, correct? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, what, that the child is a replicant as well yeah. or, okay. And, so that's the like big driving force of this. The whole plot is them. I think. Well, to clarify, I think the point is that the child is indistinguishable from replicant or human. Ah, uh, okay. And so, the, because it's it's left ambiguous in this film, still they do not answer the question of whether or not Deckard is a replicant. But they're yeah, kind true. of implying that if he, even if he is just human that a human and replicant had a baby, which is like a big fucking deal. So, and also implying that a replicant and a replicant could have a baby, also a big fucking deal. So like, it doesn't really matter if he's, if you call him a replicant or not, because it's indistinguishable, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So now, um, who's the, the female character who's presumably the mom? From the first movie, Rachel. Um, Rachel. Rachel. Is she a replicant? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I after and when the credits rolled on this, I wrote down in my notes. I'm like, wait, who's a replicant and who isn't a replicant? Because <laughs> I'm. That's the focus I feel of like, the movie. <laughs> can, yeah, I guess. Since you yeah, bring that up, can I actually call back to something really quick when we were talking about memories? Yeah. Uh-huh. Having to deal with Rachel. Um, we were talking about how um, the implant of a memory and how 
um, Kay's character, his memory wasn't just fake. It was an implant of an actual, like a transplant of a memory almost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is brought up in the original Blade Runner with Rachel mm-hmm. because it is said that um, her memory of... Oh geez, what was it? Her memory of um, something with like a like a spider's egg hatching into hundreds of spiders or something yep. was actually the real memory of the head of the Tyrell Corporation's niece or something like that. Whoa! So I don't like I didn't know if anyone had any opinions on if that was a direct tie to the old movie or if it was just like oh let's put something in. Um, it, it is. It's an important little like kind of lore detail because the 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 whole revolution that's kind of happened between the previous movie and this one is that now replicants are a tool rather Mm -hmm. than something to be feared. Like in the original, every replicant was being hunted down because they were like malfunctioning essentially and like going against their intended purposes. They, they could not be conditioned to be the perfect slaves that humans wanted them to be. But now in the future, we've fixed that they're perfect, obedient slaves. And we, and as part of that, as part of allowing that to happen, they've outlawed the use of real memories anymore to, uh, implant memories into the slave, the newer slave ones. Mm. So I think that's part of their like, we got to figure out what we did wrong. Oh, we gave them real memories, so they thought they were real. So we can only mm. give them fake memories and make sure they know that they're fake memories. Like, because all right. the replicants in this movie, they they're told like, oh yeah, that's all made up. It's just to make you feel more like a person and interact with other people more naturally. Right, and that makes sense, especially wow. with like when you were talking about. Um, when you asked if Rachel was a replicant, like that was a big point in the movie was that like one of her breaking points was finding out her memories were not yeah. hers. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Um, okay. Sorry. So then, <laughs> uh, to the twist, um, oh, so the twist is that the memory girl, um, the girl who gave Kay, uh, a real memory, which, the twist is that it's her memory, right? Yeah. And that yep. she is this child that everyone's looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, a pretty great twist. And I thought the ending is pretty solid, how it all worked out. Um, I just couldn't stop thinking about... Because I just couldn't stop thinking about who's a replicant. Yes. That's just mm-hmm. like... I just can't like. Well, that's a uh, that's a great concept of the movie in general, like that you just don't know, and you're having that exact thought. Like, I really dig that part mm-hmm. of the movie. So, yeah, 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 and it's it also. Uh, I mean, I think I understand it also as a critique, though, because they there were people trying to say when this movie first came out that like oh you don't have to see the original to go enjoy it it's still an incredible sci-fi movie but like i mean you kind of do though like mm-hmm. it really it, in that last act of the film it leans pretty hard on like building on the blocks of understanding from that first movie even if you don't need to know like the plot of the first movie it helps to have that context in that like philosophical uh debate kind of 
around what it even means to be human and adding to that. So I, I can understand people who critique that part of this film as like a, a f- failure um, to communicate some of those things. Like people walking out of this confused, I can't really blame them, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if uh, I don't know if I would critique it in that way. I think it it just kind of is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't know. I think it's just another. It's a kind of a reason why I'm not really a fan of the first movie is because I feel like it is just it asks a lot of questions and then it's just kind of confusing just just because. Oh yeah, and this I mean the movie first movie is, is more obtuse for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that's why I just I gravitate I gravitate towards the the whole AI romance because it is it asks questions that are really fascinating. Um, and then it also it kind of ends like it it it, it is a complete thought. Whereas everything else in this movie is not really that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, anything else? Anything else you guys want to say about this movie? Um, otherwise, I say we get into final thoughts. I I do want to touch real quick on kind of like the um, epilogue of sorts. Well, I mean, I guess the epilogue is like when Harrison Ford goes to to finally meet his daughter. But kind of before that, we've got the the interaction with the quote unquote resistance effectively. Oh, the yeah. like mm-hmm. um, the other replicants who are like are trying to start the beginnings of a revolution and, and fight for their freedom. And like, I feel like this is where this is the closest the movie really gets to like maybe laying down the groundwork for another sequel which i mean who the fuck knows in 30 more years maybe we'll get one because <laughs> yeah. i never thought we'd get this one um but i just that um i feel like that's the more effective part of the twist right where it's not so much that finding out that the the memory girl is the the quote unquote real child. It, the twist is finding out that he's not, and that he has to like come to terms with that in a really heavy way and decide what does that mean for him now, right? Like he can't go back to his old life. Does he want to support a revolution after just having his worldview kind of shattered? It's just such a interesting open ended thing for him. And then you know at the end of this movie we kind of see him pretty much die at least that's kind of what's implied mm-hmm. so i don't know what, what do you guys think about all that i um i actually yeah i, I like it like i think that does have like kind of interesting the great building blocks to build on it i think that makes like i think k's journey in general is really really cool in this and that he is one of these newer replicants that's not supposed to be like off baseline or emotionally unstable or anything like that. And ex- with an exception of like one scene where that, the, the, the memory girl tells him like, Oh, this is a real thing. All he does is like scream, kick a chair and then walk out all call. Like that's the most emotion you get out of Gosling, this whole thing. And then at the end, mm-hmm. I think it's just like all of them, 
is him just internally rationalizing what is happening within the parameters that he's a replicant that has limited emotional range, essentially. And I think just him knowing that he, like, successfully reunited like a father and daughter, kind of can just, like, die at peace at the end is kind of a cool idea. Um, I just think his whole journey is just, like, heartbreaking and also just very interesting to, to follow. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I thought the yeah the ending with the with the daughter is um, it's pretty good, and the whole I, I I don't know exactly how I feel about the whole resistance thing because it's kind of it it does really feel like um, it's just setting up a sequel, and yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't really. It kind of comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning where like we were discussing how we felt about the movie and Ben and I kind of were like, when Harrison Ford comes in, it's kind of when it changes for us. Um, that's what I, like, I really enjoyed watching Kay throughout the entirety of the movie, his entire arc, all the way up through there. But then the instant you get right past the first part, like toward uh, after like the the twist and everything is where I don't know. I like the, I like the journey K takes and the way it goes through the mind of a replicant, the realization of, or like, just like the, um, Oh, I can't think of the word. Just like the reconciliation of what he is and the Mm -hmm. process of him processing through all of that. And then also tying in like, the AI character, like Ben was saying, and then like you were saying, Tyler, with like the Jiminy Cricket kind of mindset with that, that was all really interesting up until, up until there. So, yeah, I, I find that the delivery of his, like the the fact that a character we've never met before is the one that gets to deliver this like earth shattering information, mm-hmm. it slightly undercuts it just because it just it, it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere um it, at least in terms of like how it's delivered all the pieces feel like they were set up in a way that is satisfying but it, it just is it's a little odd to have that element seemingly introduced out of nowhere like we get little tiny glimpses of it in the rest of the movie like when the prostitute uh comes and slips the little tracking device in his coat mm-hmm. but that's such like a tiny little detail that you, you almost forgot that it even happened. And so when this like giant resistance of replicants comes out of nowhere, you're, you're thrown for a loop a little bit. So yeah, I think, I think thematically and philosophically it all comes to a head there really in a very satisfying way. But, um, just in terms of like trying to set that up and find someone who can deliver that information to him is a little clumsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. I wonder if I wonder if they had stuff cut out from that resistance because it. Really, I have to think so. They, yeah, they said in the when I was looking at trivia, 
there's originally a four hour rough cut of the movie and they they had split it into two parts to make it easier to review and the producers were suggesting that he should just release it as two films but uh, so i have to imagine there was more stuff with the like setup Mm -hmm. of that resistance stuff um that just probably ended up on the cutting room floor i wonder if there was some tie-in with um I read some things about how Mackenzie Davis was partially cast because she looked a lot like uh, the original actress who was one of the resistant replicants in the original movie. Um, oh, um, Daryl Hannah. Uh, Daryl Hannah, yeah. And then yeah. they also had her play the part of the person who basically brings him to the resistance. So I wonder if there was some tie-in with oh, parts that really were originally cut. Yeah. I never thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Yeah, I, it's a such a cool world that even in like an almost three hour movie, you're kind of like, ah, I wish I could see more of what was going on there. But in the end, it almost I, it's hard to say if it if that would detract from it or add to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get to final thoughts. Um, so for every movie, we'll give Harrison Ford a rating of one to five Harrisons. So, uh, Kevin, you want to start us off with your final thoughts uh final thoughts on this movie um after discussing it all with you and having some more lore poured into my head from blade runner um tyler was a wealth of knowledge from the originals coming up through this one for sure um it makes me want to watch it again now (laughs) even though i just spent (laughs) two hours and 40 something minutes watching it recently um because and it really makes me after i learned the trivia about the uh how long of a cut that original take of that movie or the original edit of that movie was. I really wish I knew more about it. And it makes me want to like go back and look for all those little things that might've alluded to something extra. Um, Mm -hmm. Overall. So are we question podcast form question (laughs) when we give Harrison's, are we basing it on Harrison or the movie? It's all made up and it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. I give it, Three and a half Fords. Oh, oh, oh. oh God! Well, oh, all right. Whoa. Now, all right. Whoa. Is that allowed the one in card card the system? <laughs> I mean, it has to be Harrison's, dude. The scale oh, is okay, one to five Harrison's. Okay, okay. I revise. I revise. Three and a, three and a half Harrison's. Nice. But nice. I will put a disclaimer on that. That it's like I, I want to explore it more again. So, mm. uh, Neil, what about your final thoughts? Yeah. Um, this we as we've touched on before, it is long, uh, nearing that three-hour mark, and there are scenes where you feel that a little bit more. But I think the strength is is like I can almost I know like the first point where I was like getting a little bit bored, and then it introduced something like awesome, like that made you invested. In it. And it's like there's one scene where they I think it was like Kay goes to Robin Wright. Uh, like his police chief kind of thing, and they have like a like more of a, a world building conversation that really got back into it. And so, like, I think it it knows how to pace itself pretty well with what it's got going on. Um, visually, absolutely stunning. Audibly, absolutely stunning. Um, <laughs> uh, all the actors, I think, do an amazing job. Um, I would say, like, Gosling, obviously, he'd stand out. Um, the replicant who plays Love is amazing. 
um, the, or the actor, I guess, who plays them. Um, and then, <laughs> oh my God, it's leading into the real world. Um, and then, like, all, and all the other things going on are, are really well done. Um, Harrison Ford, I think, does a good job. I don't, to me, he doesn't quite feel like Deckard from the first one, but I guess he's maybe not supposed to because he has changed quite a bit from the initial one. But it, it could all just come down to is like when you see when, you, when I think of Deckard from the original one, he's got his big coat on. He looks like a Blade Runner. But like when you see him in this, he looks like he just walked in from his trailer. He's like, "Fuck dressing room, I'm going to the set." Like kind of a thing. Like he's just in a t-shirt, like or whatever. But yeah. But like that's what that character would do when hiding out in an abandoned Las Vegas in like. Uninhabited, uninhabitable zone, essential. So, but I think he does. Uh, like he's not in it a ton, and he gives a, a pretty good performance overall. Um, I, I, I'm kind of with Kevin on this. I kind of want to go back and watch it again because of all the little things that have been pointed out, and it makes me really want to cover this with like a fine tooth comb and find all those little cool things that are just part of the world building that, like Ridley Scott and you are so good at in this, this format. So um, I'm going to give it I think I'm going to give it four. Four out of five Harrisons. I really enjoyed this. Nice. Tyler? Uh, yeah, guys, this is um, I know there's some like major fans of the original Blade Runner who uh uh, maybe just don't want to admit this to themselves, but this is a better movie than the original. Oh, it, it, it mm-hmm. in like the most <laughs> audacious and crazy way. I it I, when I heard this movie was being made, I was like, "What the fuck?" Was my reaction like that? <laughs> it's such an absurd idea, and because I mean, I I wouldn't say that I'm like a major fan of the original, but I do really respect it for what it, it did and what it is. So, like, the idea that someone, even someone as talented as Villeneuve, would, like, want to make this movie or think that they could make it well is so surprising. And it's even more surprising that he fucking nailed it. Like, hands down nailed it. This, uh, I'm, after watching it this time, uh, this is probably my third time watching it. I haven't actually rewatched it that much. But I think it may have entered, like, literally my top three movies of all time. I fucking love this movie. Um, I think that this is Ryan Gosling's best performance. I think this is one of Harrison Ford's maybe last best performances. Um, I really actually do like him returning to this character. I think he does a really... I think his heart is actually in this as opposed to... I mean, I think maybe there was some of that in Star Wars, but definitely not really in in Indiana Jones. So it, this it feels authentic to what was done in the original and improves on it in many ways. I just got to call out to you, you you both I think you both mentioned love. Um her villain character in this movie is so good and I we well, there's just so much to talk about in this movie that we didn't spend much time on it, but her there are a lot of movies and especially like action movies that will try to 
cast some like semi-petite young woman as some supposedly imposing figure and usually it's really hard to buy that unless the person like can completely sell it and god damn does she sell it that scene where she crushes the drink glass in robin wright's hand is fucking terrible uh i and then the the last thing I want to call out is the fight sequence in the music hall of that Las Vegas casino. Jesus Christ, that might be one of the most impressive like standoff sequences in an action film I've e- that's ever been put to film. The the lack of music for the vast majority of it, where it's just complete silence and you hear hear them like scrambling around trying to find each other, then punctuated by these blasts of music that are like (laughs) distorted and crazy holograms behind them it's just so unique looking and impressive they they thought they were gonna have to cut that because they thought it was too cheesy and but when they started adding more silence in it hit the tone they were looking for and god damn i'm so happy they left it in um this movie is just incredible this is a five out of five harrison's by far cool very uh yeah i'm gonna give this uh four out of five um I yes, I think Harrison Ford is quite good in this movie. Um, he's he and I think he's he's so good because it's kind of a small role um, when you really think about it. And he he just every scene he's in, he I think he just brings it. It's it's quite good. Um, and of course, the whole rest of the movie is just even though I have qualms about it and I don't think it's. Um, miraculous um, front to back it's still just what is good about this movie is just so just awe-inspiring um, it's such an incredible movie um, and yeah it's just such a for kind of how heady it is it's so fun to watch um, I I would like to see a sequel to this movie but I highly doubt they ever will um, so, um, right before we close the book on Harrison Ford, guys, um, I have, <laughs> I, I, I made a promise, uh, many, many episodes ago. I hope someone remembers this promise. So this pays <laughs> off. Uh, but we have talked a lot about how Harrison Ford has, uh, great character names and I have ranked Every name from, <laughs> yes. from from all the movies we've talked about. Uh, so I only have a list of all the movies we've talked about. Um, and uh, a, a quick editor's note, I've left off the character from 42 because that's a uh, that's a real person. So <laughs> um, uh, also. Uh, so I'm I'm just gonna quickly uh, read off this list of names. I have 13 names here, and um, I I also want to just say before I read it off, uh, this is not my opinion. Uh, I made a very extensive equation, and I to <laughs> to make this ranking. So this is scientific. This is if the you have a yeah, it's empirical. Yeah, <laughs> if you have a problem with this ranking, then. Uh, I don't want to hear it because then you have a problem with science. So, okay, ready? 
<laughs> Are you ready, guys? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, from the top, Norman Spencer from What Lies Beneath, uh, Jack Stanfield from Firewall, uh, Henry Turner from Regarding Henry, uh, Woodrow Dollarhide from Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> um, the, the, so one quick thing. The the thing is, I think all these names are quite good. So really, the the part of quality in between each position is very like minimal, right? So yeah. <laughs> I have to just preface that before my number nine pick uh, is John Book yeah. from Witness. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Jack Trainer from Working Girl. Uh, President James Marshall from Air Force One. Uh, Jack Ryan from Clear and Present Danger. Uh, Dr. Richard Kimball from The Fugitive. Uh, Rick Deckard from Blade Runner, uh, which I think should be higher, but I think it's Rick. I think Rick is the problem. Uh, Deckard is such a good name, but you it's can't Rick. argue with oh, the yeah. algorithm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Also, I th- you can't call him Richard Deckard because it's like Richard Deckard. It's weird. Mm. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> number three. This might be controversial. Number three, Quinn Harris from Six Days and Seven Nights. What a fucking good name. Number two, Indiana Jones. And of course, number one, Han Solo. Yeah, dude. That's great. Man, that's science at work. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll have to run run the numbers for like all of his. uh, I'd be interested in the movies we didn't talk about to see if there's any Mm -hmm. gems in those characters, too. Now that we've broken that down, I want to ask you all a question, too. (laughs) Now that we've watched a ton and... Kevin, you haven't probably watched all of the ones that we have so far, so... But I want to get your answers anyway. Judging on this, is Harrison Ford a good actor, yes or no? Oh, well. Oh, why you gotta do me dirty? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to hear no in-between bullshit. This is a full Uh, yes or a full no. I was literally just gonna ask you... (laughs) (laughs) See, I think he he falls in the line of like what a Will Smith falls into, where he's like he's a movie star. And I think he is so fun to watch on screen. And so just the energy he brings to like to movies that he's good in Um, when he when he brings his a game. It's incredible. Um the problem Paint's is the best at picking yeah. scripts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I'm with you there. I think yeah. he is a great actor. I take him. Um, I'd, I'd always take him. I would never leave him. So I would have to sure, say yeah. I give him a thumbs up. Best actor ever. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a thumbs up for me as well. Um, all right, let's get to recommendations. So on every episode, we'll leave you guys with some recommendations that don't necessarily have to be movie related. But uh, Kevin, you got a recommendation for us? I'm assuming I can talk now. You cut out again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'm going to go for it because yeah. um, I'm recording. Um, so my recommendation is a YouTube channel called uh, The Nerd Writer, um, youtube.com slash nerdwriter1. Um, this is actually sort of movie related but it's also kind of adjacent because it talks about other types of media and everything but it's basically just this guy who does a bunch of different video essays on different aspects of you know your favorite media whether that be movies or tv shows or even just like analyzing things like uh you know how presidential candidates answer questions stuff like that and it's actually really well thought out and you can tell there's a lot of planning put into it um there's actually just to relate it back to the episode there are two blade runner episodes on the nerd writer channel uh one talking about the sound design and music and the contrast between the first and second movie and then there is one additional one that i have actually yet to watch um i can look it up real quick it is Blade Runner, the other side of mod- modernity. I can't pronounce that word. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, they're, they're only like, you know, 10 minutes or less in length. So I really encourage people to check that out. Cool. Video essays. So yeah, hot right now. I can actually second that. <laughs> I've watched quite a bit of his uh, stuff. I've not seen Blade Runner. But yeah, I also recommend it. Definitely. Same. Um, Very my, cool. My um, Neil, what? what's your recommendation? <laughs> my recommendation uh, is one that I was holding off on for a while, um, and then I forgot it was free, so I decided I was going to try it out. Uh, that's Call of Duty Warzone, which is the newest version of Call of Duty. It's like Battle Royale type team. Um, it's really all I've been doing for the last weeks because I don't really have it. I don't do much. <laughs> so, like, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's very fun. Like, I've played um, other Battle Royale games. Like, i played uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Apex Legends, and like, mm-hmm. and maybe, uh, maybe no, that one, those might be, and then this one. And I think this one is kind of my favorite. Mostly because, like, the other two were extremely sweaty, like just overly try-hard type games, and I'm not saying that this won't end up being that same way because I'm sure it will. But like right now, it like it just by the when at the time of recording, it had like um, another like the game is free, but it had like a free weekend also for like the little multi like had a little multiplayer sessions on it too. So it kind of got a lot of people, and like it's season three, I think just dropped the day of the recording. So it's got a lot of like new players. So like you don't feel outclassed and stuff, and it's always and like games can the, the long ones are typically the ones where you're doing well, and the short ones are fine because it doesn't take long to queue into another one, which I think is the good thing about this game. Um, but it handles really well. Like my the only issue I've got with it. The only issue I've got with this stupid free awesome game is, is that like the graphical quality of this game uh, of just the modern new, new modern warfare in general is like extremely too hot for my rig and literally probably anybody else's rig unless you're running like dual graphics cards and have like top of the line processors and stuff like 
I have to run this game at its lowest setting. Like, all my characters look like they're molded out of clay. Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of that way. <laughs> it is not. But, like, it is uh, not well that aside, <laughs> gameplay is really fun. Um, if you're into kind of the Battle Royale scene, uh, definitely check it out. And it's free. So, there you go. That's Call of Duty uh, Wars. Cool. 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 Uh, Tyler, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give a recommendation that's already been given on this podcast because I haven't had time to much, watch or do much. Um, I finally got around to watching Fleabag. And yes. Ben, you previously recommended this. And oh my God, this show is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And that's like no exaggeration. It. After we, I think we, uh, I think we binged the first season in a day and then the second season in two, the next two days. I mean, they're short episodes. It's like half hour episodes and like six episodes a season or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. but God damn, is this show just like, it's perfectly constructed. I can't like find a flaw. I love all the actors. I love the the humor is just like exactly up my alley. It's it's kind of that like BoJack Horseman style shit where it's like this terrible person trying to be better and struggling. Like I, I know there's a lot of shows that are doing that, but no one's doing it as good as Fleabag. Um, and I mean, sadly, I, I don't know as though we'll ever get any more of this show, but it also at the same time kind of ends in like the perfect place. Mm-hmm. So holy shit. I, I just like, I know we, I try to avoid recommending the same thing that someone else has already recommended, but this deserves it. Like if you have not watched this show, you have to watch it. It's so insanely good. Um, it's just one of those like after we finished it we both sat there on the couch just like not speaking a word for literally like five minutes Um, so good and uh, as a little side recommendation I'm going to say now is a great time to start uh, trying to get fit in if you're stuck inside you can't do much my wife and I started doing home workouts and uh, we actually started out with a personal trainer before all this shit went down had like three sessions and then we couldn't go there anymore (laughs) so now they they started doing virtual sessions with us uh but even those i think we're gonna stop doing just because it's it's not you don't get a ton of benefit over just doing like having them send you a workout routine um so now that we feel kind of like comfortable in how the workout how the different exercises go and different strength exercises go we we can just kind of follow the routine he sends us um but it's it really feels good to feel even just a little bit stronger like we feel like we're making progress i feel better like all of this going on with the coronavirus right now if you're listening to this in the future we're in the middle of it and uh it really sucks and so it's it feels good to like have something i can look at and be like i'm gonna do this one thing just a little bit better than the last time and it's like helping my mental health because i'm like getting active so i mean if you don't really like to exercise or anything just look up some videos online you don't have to do the like crazy seven minute ab burns workout whatever the fuck like just look up an exercise and how to do it and just do as many reps and as high of weight as you can and just see how it feels and then do another one you know you can like 
make your own shit or look up plans online. Go at your own pace. That's what we're doing. It's it's really nice. I, I can second that for sure as far as the mental health goes. You feel so much better both physically and mentally after starting to just do small things at home. Like even if it wasn't yeah. even weight training, like uh, just right. like stretching exercises do wonders for everything. Yeah. And, and our personal trainer, he gave us like, we, we were wanting to put together like a home gym kind of, if we got serious enough about it, but he gave us like a list of equipment you could buy. That was literally less than a hundred bucks. And it, I feel, I feel like I just went to the gym and like was lifting weights. Right. Mm-hmm. It's pretty impressive. The kind of stuff you can do just with your own body weight and like really simple exercises. So yeah, uh, I don't have like a great resource to, to look at. Um, or to go find online, but there's so many of them. Just keep, look for something that works for you. That's like the important part, right? So I, we tried for years and it never really stuck for me, but we've been going for like almost two months now and it's, it's great. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, okay. I would, I'm also going to recommend something that, um, has been recommended before on this show. Um, I the it's a YouTube show uh, from Bon Appetit. It's called It's Alive, and um, I think this is one of the shows that Tyler specifically um, recommended. Uh, um, Tyler, as you said, we're in the middle of this pandemic, and just like I've been having a hard time, just like just like watching, even just watching like shows and just content. Um, so I kind of retreated back to um, just stuff that just makes me feel good. <laughs> and that is yeah. cooking shows from um, a magazine that has a kitchen where just like a bunch of friends <laughs> are constantly cooking. Um, this show is so funny and uh, it, it is Compared to the other Bon Appetit shows, I don't think the cooking, like, I don't think most of these episodes for It's Alive, you're going to walk away with, like, a recipe that you're like, yeah, I'm going to make that for dinner or a snack or dessert or something. But it is so goddamn funny. And I just, like, am constantly (laughs) laughing and (laughs) it's so fun and enjoyable and you still do learn some stuff too. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, Bon Appetit is just such a breath of fresh air, their entire YouTube channel. Um, but, uh, I have just been, I've been working from home and I just like started an episode of it's alive once. And I ended up watching like five or six hours (laughs) for that entire day. I just let it, just autoplay mm-hmm. and i was like i'm like i'm in it now like just <laughs> get give it to me um f- uh real quickly though since we're talking about it's live <laughs> let's uh, step into a uh, typography corner um because the <laughs> no <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh the font used in it's alive is a font, I believe it's called Hobo Standard. Indeed. Yes. Okay. And if anyone who uh, doesn't know this font, it's very much a like 70s, like 
Woodstock kind of psychedelic. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Psychedelic is a really good. I think if you just picture, um, just like a a concert poster from the seventies, like you just automatically um, picture this font, and it's not a good font. It's just weird, <laughs> and I'm not a fan of I- it. The, it's. I think it's that way because it seems like exactly the font that Brad would miss. I was just gonna say yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That is. It might as well be called Leone. Yeah. <laughs> Petition to get it changed to Leone. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's weird. It's very odd, and um, the, the font choice in a lot of. Um, those Bon Appetit videos are questionable at best. So um. <laughs> I think I, I'll, I'll just keep this running even longer, guys. It, it, the reason that, the reason those shows are great is because there is an unspoken, un like referenced character who is the editor who yes. is <laughs> feels like he's constantly uh, fighting the person who is on camera, and it's like. It's like this time travel. Who's even holding combat. the camera as well? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. So it's like they're they're somehow sparring between filming and editing. That is just the most hilarious thing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What a good show. <laughs> um, all right. That's it for this episode of Credits Due. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, listening along and joining us. And thank you, Kevin, so much for joining us. This has been no a blast. It's been a pleasure. A delight. Um, so, of course, uh, our next episode will be an extra credits episode. We're not going to do Call of the Wild? <laughs> Uh, oh my god, no. no. Um, I don't remember if that was supposed to be good or not. I've heard mixed feelings that like the dogs are incredible or the dogs are not incredible. Uh, you should just do it all the same the behind the scenes. It's of- the latter, yeah. That's my half-assed um, second-hand review of Call of the Wild. My favorite meme of that movie is uh, they, it's Harrison Ford going into a meeting uh, with producers for the movie, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board. Uh, the, the dog's not going to be some weird cartoon though thing, is it? And they're like, oh, no, no. It's, it's going to be totally real. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to him walking in on set to some guy crouching next to him in a green screen outfit. <laughs> oh my god. God damn it. That's funny. <laughs> um, Alright. Uh, until then, uh, Tyler, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler Owen. Hey, you can find me, Neil, on at Dino Mealman. And you can listen to my other podcast called Pivotal Tracks, where I interview a musician about a song they love. Um, I haven't posted an episode in a while, but I have one more coming hopefully very soon. Um, so hopefully it will be... Um, uh, hopefully it, it will be very enjoyable in these um, in these difficult times. But uh, once again, uh, thank you 
for joining us. Thank you, everyone who listens along and watches along. And uh, once again, thank you, Kevin, uh, for joining us. Mm -hmm. And uh, until our next episode, remember, as always, sometimes to love someone, you got to be a stranger. (laughs) 